And there are clipboards for those. No, there aren't. Oh, there aren't any. Yeah, there aren't any. I'm preaching from 1 Samuel chapter 24 today. We'll get there in a minute. I'm not preaching on this passage because I was moved to by the Holy Spirit, nor am I preaching on this passage because I have some special insight into each of your hearts and know this is like the perfect passage for you guys. I'm preaching on this passage because my son Abraham uh, loves all the stories about David and said, what are you preaching on? And I said, well, what would you like? And he said, oh, how about the story about David in the cave with Samuel? And I was like, perfect. Sounds great. Um, And what I love about this passage and all passages of scripture is What scripture is, is God zooming into certain parts of history to give you some insight into what his character and nature is. This is how God works in every part of history, down to the smallest detail. From all of creation and the outskirts of the universe, into the heavens that you don't get to see, down to the smallest atom, God is in control of each and every one of those things for his good and for his glory. Throughout scripture, you see that God uses kings and he uses shepherds. He uses thieves and he uses prostitutes, priests, and Gentiles all to accomplish his will. He uses righteous deeds and he uses wicked deeds in order to reveal his attributes. God uses war, he uses peace, he uses rain, he uses drought, he uses donkeys, he uses lions, he uses stars, and he uses trees. God's using you right now for his glory, where you sit. The arguments you might have had with your wives or your husbands this morning, he's using them. The peace you may find later, he's using them. The arguments with your children, the mess they made in their room, the joy of an anniversary or a birthday, he's using every single one. And should he zoom in right now and give you some insight, uh, it would be profound what you would see God is doing in your life. The things that you don't get to see in the background. Uh, the things that we miss all the time. So it's fun when you look at scripture, what it is right now is we're zooming in on a part of God's hand in the life of these kings, Saul and King David. Uh, we read in 1 Samuel 15, how Samuel was, or Saul was disqualified pretty early. And Samuel told him so. And what happens after this is a constant battle between Saul's ego and David trying not to hurt Saul, saying, listen, I want no part of this. And from um, 1 Samuel 15 until Saul dies at the end. Saul is basically just running after David over and over and over and over. So I want to give you a little bit of that background. So we get up to the part in 1 Samuel 15 where he disobeys the Lord. He disobeys Samuel's command as well. Samuel says the throne's going to be cut off from you. And so Saul pleads, uh, but he gains nothing in his pleading. He's allowed to stay in his position for now. But Samuel sent on a side mission. You're going to go to Jesse. 
And there you'll find the one who I want to name king. And most of you know the story goes from boy after boy after boy. And they said, well, is anybody left? Because so far God has not told me, Samuel, who to pick as king. And they said, well, there's this one other kid. His name's David. He's out in the field. He's watching the sheep, but he's young, immature, whatever. So I don't know about him. He says, oh, yeah, bring him in. I won't go anywhere. I'm not even going to sit down until he shows up. So he shows up. God says to Samuel, this is the one. He anoints David king. David knows he's being anointed king. His whole family is there to witness that he's been anointed king. So now you have Saul. When David is anointed king, the Holy Spirit is removed from Saul. And David is now filled with the Spirit of God and power. Right? So now he takes over. It's funny. So now, not only does the Spirit leave Saul, but an evil spirit sent from God comes into Saul now. Every now and then Saul gets upset, throws a fit. The people don't know what to do. And one of his servants says, Saul, here's what you need to do. You need to get some nice liar music. Liar like harp music. You need to get something just to calm you down. Because this is too much for everybody. You look like a maniac. I don't know what's going on here. And Saul says, good, find someone who's skillful at playing music. Now look at the providence and hand of God. Who does the servant tell him to get? I heard about this guy, David. He's skillful at playing the lyre. You should have him come in. So now the anointed one of God, the successor to the throne of Saul is playing the harp for Saul. David is in the innermost courts because God is working it all out for his glory uh, and for our good as we listen to this story. So now David's in Saul's household. David becomes also an armor bearer. Saul says, I just want you to stay here with me. Don't go back to Jesse. You're doing great with the music. You're doing great at carrying my armor. Just stay right here. So now David's got all these jobs. He works for Saul, but he also has responsibilities to his own family. So he's traveling back and forth. He's going to help his father with the flocks like he's always been doing. And then he's traveling back to help out his brothers. And he's helping out the king. And this guy's going with the energy and youthfulness of a young man, right? He finds out the Philistines are attacking. Jesse, David's father, says, hey, leave the sheep. Don't even worry about them. Take some food to your brothers who are on the front line. What does he find on the front line? Goliath. Calling them out for 40 days. Bring your best guy. I'll fight him. If you win, you can be, we can be your servants. And if he wins, you know, vice versa. We'll just swap it up. No one's going to step out. Not King Saul. Not his mightiest men. David gets there and says, hey, what's happening? His brother's like, be quiet. You don't need to get involved in this. All you want to do is come up and see a battle. You're wasting your time. David says, this uncircumcised Philistine here is speaking about our God like that. I've gone after lions and God has given me notice. David is always handing it off to God. God helped me beat a lion. God helped me beat a bear numerous times. What is this? This is just one more thing. And if God is with me, I will not lose. So it says he puts on the armor that he's been carrying around for Saul and it's too big. He's not ready. He's not prepared to use the armor, it says. It just weighs him down. So he strips that off, grabs what he normally does in the field, his long-range rifle, right? His sword and his, or his stone and uh, sling. Thank you. 
It says he basically just charges after Goliath and chucks it at him. It sinks into his forehead. He drops down to his face. David comes up, pulls the sword from his sheath, cuts off his head, and carries it around. That's intense. God is zoomed in on this portion for a reason. And it's intense. We often think of like David and like his little skirt out in the field, the drawings, right? He's just doing his thing with his satchel, playing his harp. But he's carrying around the head of Goliath. If you go ahead back in scripture and read that, he is killing bears. He is killing lions. This is who David is because this is who God made David to be. None of you here is doing what you're doing because you are by nature awesome. You are by nature good at what you do because God has given you the grace to do those things. And some people better things than other people. And David, by the grace of God, can kill lions and giants. And he is a wise young man dedicated to God. This is fine for Saul at this point. This is great for Saul at this point. I told David to go out and get Goliath. David goes out and gets Goliath. They chase down the Philistines. They kill everybody. So far, so good. David continues to rush the Philistines, killing all sorts of Philistines, comes back with the head of Goliath. Saul puts David in charge of all sorts of men, thousands of men. David goes out. He wins more and more battles. And if you read it, because God had favor with David. Gave him battle after battle after battle after battle. David comes back again, playing his songs. But while he's there, he hears another song in the background. The ladies are singing a song that Saul does not appreciate. The song goes like this. I'm not going to sing it because I don't know how it goes. Right? But it says, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his? Nice, Abraham. Ten thousands, right? And Saul is not happy. So for some reason, Saul is always sitting with a spear in his hand, listening to the music. And he takes that spear in his anger and he says, I'm going to pin David to the wall with this thing. And he chucks it at David. David gets out of the way. Still young, agile, quick on his feet, protected by the Lord especially. And he gets out of there. Saul does not stop there. He ushers in the first attempt on David's life. He sends David away from his presence, but gives him hundreds and thousands of men, hoping that in one of these battles, David is sure to die. I'm not going to kill him. I've given up on that. I can't seem to hit him with a spear, but I'm going to give him a bunch of men and hopefully he dies. Then he says, you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to give him one of my daughters. I'm going to give him this first daughter that I have because she's going to distract him. So he says, I'll give him my first daughter. And then just before he's supposed to get married, he says, nah, just kidding. Not going to give you my first daughter. He says, but what I will do is I'll give you my second daughter. Thankfully, a second daughter loved David. Specifically says that he loved David. And she loved David. And so Saul says, okay, this is great. This is great because David loves my daughter. He's probably willing to do just about anything. So he says, I'll tell you what you do. If you want my daughter, I know you're a poor guy. You don't have any money. So go to the Philistines and cut off a hundred foreskins, bring them back here, and I'll give you my daughter. Hello. Um, I'd rather just try and find some money, honestly. 
you know, work some extra hours, that would be fine. But David says, okay, I can do that. I killed Goliath, whatever. I'll take my men with me. I'll go. He goes, he kills Philistines. He takes foreskins. He brings them back in a bag, whatever, throws them down, says, go ahead, count them. They're all here. Maybe a couple extras just to be sure. And he gets the daughter, but he does not die. Saul hates David even more, obviously, tries to have him killed, but Jonathan um, intervenes. Jonathan is Saul's son. He plays an integral role in this whole thing. He is always standing up for David, his best friend. Always standing up for David. Calms Saul down, says, bring him back. David comes back into the court. He plays music. Saul gets angry, tries to kill him again. Saul then sends men into David's house, but his wife has this whole bed situation set up where it looks like David's in bed, but he's not in bed. His wife has sent him out, so he escapes. He gets away again. Um, David runs then to the priests. When he gets to the priests, about 85 of them, he says, uh, Saul sent me on a secret mission. I need some food. I know it's a consecrated food. All my men are good to go. They've washed. They're ceremonially clean. They're good. So the priests give him bread. After they eat, they get filled. They get energy. They're ready to run again. They leave. Saul comes, finds the priests, kills all the priests for helping David. Every single one, like 85 of them, he kills Still hunting down David in a rage, right? David then runs from there. And this is funny because I I swear I have never seen this. David goes to uh, Gilgal, or at least he, I think that's the name of or Gad or something like that. But he goes to where Goliath's hometown is. And he had just gotten the sword of Goliath from the priests, which is interesting. So now he's got the sword of Goliath. He goes to the one place Saul probably would not want to track him down uh, with Goliath's sword. And he's in that town. And the people say, oh, I recognize this guy. And David does the weirdest thing. He goes to the wall, it says. He starts like scratching on the wall, maybe mumbling and drooling down his beard. So that he looks insane. And the leaders are like, we don't need another insane person in our community. So they kind of send him on his way. So he leaves this place where Goliath was as a madman drooling down his beard. And I have never seen this before. (laughs) Right. And then he runs away again on his journey. He gets 600 men to follow him. These 600 men are not like the best of the best. Right? This is what it says about them. It says they're not great men. They're just people in debt, in distress, or bitter in soul. Just a bunch of run down, knocked down, persecuted men. This is his band of brothers that he's trying to survive with. I'm sure they heard the stories. I'm sure they heard the songs. I'm sure they're ready to do something better than whatever they've been doing. Maybe they had a little more heart because, hey, this anointed King David is with us and God never lets him lose. So I'd rather be with him. I don't know, but they continue to travel with David. David's finally quartered just outside the town of Kayla. It's called They're on one side of the mountain. Saul's troops are on the other side of the mountain and they're about to meet on the other side. It says then a messenger comes to Saul and says, Saul, you need to come quickly. The Philistines are attacking. We need your help. So just as he's about to get to David, He has to go. Takes 3,000 of his men and leaves. 
leaves David right there on the other side of the mountain by the grace of God. Again, we're getting a picture into how God is working out each part of David's life, saving his life in ways that David doesn't even know. He can't even get to see some of that. How does he know that somebody told uh, uh, Saul and that he had to leave and go see the Philistines? He just gets to the other side of the mountain and no one's there. So he continues to run. He goes and he hides in some caves. They hide in a cave that they call like the goat's cave or the sheep's cave. And what this is probably is, and my daughter is funny because I was telling her about this cave. She's like, there are caves that big? I was like, oh yeah. There's like Howe's Cavern. There's all sorts of caverns and caves in the U.S. But all over the world, there are caves that can hold literally full armies. And what they would do is they would feed all their sheep and flocks as they're passing through. They would find a shady place, a place where all their animals could kind of cool off. Or maybe it's pouring, and so they come into this cave. So it's a big cave that they're in. I mean, it's big enough to hold 600 men and David and Saul not to know that's where he is. So this is where we're going to start. We just made it now to chapter 24. These are all the attacks on David's life, all the ways that he's escaped from Saul. And Saul... Verse 24, verse, or chapter 24, verse 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told this. Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 notices, chosen men out of all Israel, and went to seek David. And his men, in front of the wild goats' rocks, they call them. I've been reading like so many commentaries and listening to so many sermons. And the good news is most of the sermons are pretty much the same. But in one of these commentaries, he makes a great point that wasn't in some of these sermons. And that was this. He said that uh, this is John Woodhouse's commentary on 1 Samuel. He says there's irony here. Saul had chosen, handpicked, 3,000 out of all of Israel to hunt down the one whom the Lord had chosen out of all Israel. And who do you think wins? The one that Saul chooses or the one that God chooses? It's God's choice that determines success. You can choose all you want to, but scripture talks about, right? You can make all the plans you want to, but God will direct your steps. You can start a business with the best intentions and the best character and the best whatever, but if God's not in it, it's going to fail. And you can have an idea that sounds completely outlandish, like electric cars and trips uh, in and out of space for the wealthy, right? And end up being a $212 billion uh, wealthy man, right? Like Elon Musk. If God is in that thing, for you to succeed, you will succeed. And if he is saying you will fail, you will fail. And there's almost nothing you can do here. And so here's what happens. Saul picks his favorite 3,000. David has his 600 hiding in a cave. And he came, it says, to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Right? Literally, the translation is he went in to drop his skirt to his feet, basically. His clothes around his ankles. In case you're not sure... He's having a bowel movement in the cave. There's a lot of background that we go, don't get to see, but there are some practical things in the midst of this, right? Practically, is the king going to go into a cave with all of his 3,000 best men? 
Now, he'll probably leave him outside because it's degrading to almost anybody to have somebody stand there watching you do your business. Especially the king, who's almost treated like a god. So why would he bring everybody in to watch him do his business? They're good. Like, it's a cave. What are people going to do? They can't get in anywhere. We've got 3,000 guys outside. He's in literally the safest place he could possibly be right now. Maybe he creeps into the back a little bit where it's dark, not so bright. He still knows he can see the front entrance, but he doesn't want to be too close. I don't know how long he's in here, right? But he thinks this is secure, right? And we all do the same thing. We think to ourselves, this is enough money to make me secure. This is the house that's going to make me happy. This is the car that's going to prevent all the injuries. This is whatever it is. This is it. This is like... I'm good now. But if God is against you, there is nothing that's going to stop him. And if God is for you, there is nothing that is going to stop him or you from succeeding. And that's up to God's prerogative. So now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Notice David has never been hunting Saul ever. He's just been running. He gets back and says, okay, I'll play the harp again. I know you threw a spear at me last time, but we're good. Let's just let bygones be bygones. Throws another spear. Okay, I'm going to leave. But Jonathan, your son's going to let me know if I should come back or not. Right? He keeps trying to get back in with Saul, trying to bless Saul, trying to keep his hands off the Lord's anointed. Well, now David and his men, they're sitting in the cave. And here was Saul, gift-wrapped, vulnerable, they're in the backside. There's no light in there. There's guys outside, but they're not inside with him. And David's men, they make a very reasonable assumption. The men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord said to you. Right? This is what God said. Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Did God ever say that to these men? No. Did he ever say it to David? No. Right? But here's what they're trying to do, right? These are some pretty great tea leaves. Like if you're into like seeing the signs and trying to determine what the future holds, this is pretty good. Here's Saul, pants down, totally alone, doesn't know you're here. Now's the time. If you're going to strike, strike now. All these men have been running for their lives, no food, stuck in a cave, cold, scared for a long time. Let's end that, kill him, become king, we're good to go. And so what they try and do is justify disobeying God. And we all do that as well. We think, well, this is the person I'm supposed to marry. I mean, they're not a Christian, yeah, but... She was outside of the Chick-fil-A the other day when I was driving by and there was a sign above her head and it said, marry me. And then I passed another sign with an engagement ring. And so all the signs were pointing to I should marry this person. Uh, Christians, this is not how we decide what God's will is, right? God's will is in scripture. David already knew. God said that you do not touch Saul. David, however, is just a man, and he is very tempted to go after the same thing that these men want him to go to. So for whatever reason, David, he's 
arises and he creeps into Saul and he stealthily cuts off a bit of Saul's robe. I'm sure the men are watching, hoping he's going to kill him. They've heard all the stories of David. They're waiting for that head to roll on the ground and for him to walk back into the back of the cave with it. Nope, just a little piece of cloth. That's it. My daughter and I'm sure other people have wondered, like, well, how in the world do you sneak up on a guy like that and cut off his robe? Like, his sword's got to be super sharp. What's going on here? Well, if you've ever been inside a cave, when one person talks, how loud is it in the cave? It's pretty loud. Now imagine there's 3,000 people outside making noise. A whole army of men, maybe boisterous that they're getting close, whatever it is, that might be one reason he could sneak up on him. Well, how does he get his robe because he's got his robe on? Well, maybe he took it off. I was asking Sayla, like, do you like to use a restroom with, like, your entire snowsuit on or, like, your big bulky jacket on? She's like, no. Okay, well, if you're the king, it's a very expensive robe. We're going to take that off. We're going to leave it off to the side. So maybe that's another reason. Or maybe it's just the fact that God made it. So that Saul had no idea he was there. Has he done crazier things? Absolutely. This one was not hard. Right? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and somebody else in that fire. They didn't even have a smell of smoke on them. So walking up next to Saul, cutting off his robe, not a hard thing for God. <clears throat> so, like we read in the scripture reading this morning, There is that time when Saul reaches for Samuel's robe and tears it. And that symbolizes, then Samuel says, the tearing of the kingdom from Saul. Here, David immediately has regrets of cutting off this robe. It says in verse 5, And afterward, David's heart has struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. There are two character traits that we see in David that are important, and somehow he loses in the future, right? Or he's blind to in the future. But right now, they're on point. He has a conscience that speaks to him loud and clear. And he obeys that. He has a conscience that's informed by the word of God. You can have a conscience that tells you I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that, but it's not informed by the word of God, it's informed by your own desires. But you can also have a conscience that's informed by the word of God. And you need to obey that and follow that and do that. And then also he's quick to confess his mistake to the people there. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David, he persuades his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and he left the cave and he went on his way. The ESV that I just read says that he persuaded the men with his words, but a more literal translation of this passage says that he tore the men apart with his words. Uh, This section was kind of interesting to me as I was thinking about, like, how do you talk in the back of a cave without anybody finding out? And I was thinking, well, 
how do soldiers communicate in general? Are they taught any amount of like sign language? And I was like, well, is there any sign language in the Bible? And the only signing I remember in the Bible is Zachariah when he loses his voice because he doesn't believe the angel Gabriel and he comes out and he starts signing to them like, this is what happened. I'm trying to tell you what's happening. Um, so there are deaf people, blind people, all sorts of people in scripture. So I don't see why they couldn't have had some form of sign language or not. I don't know. But he tears them apart with his words. Interestingly, without Saul even knowing it, David is saving Saul's life. Right? All these other times, David's just trying to survive. But in this moment right here, when he has the perfect opportunity for revenge, instead he saves Saul's life from his 600 men. 600 men eager to just end this whole journey. So afterward, David, he arose when Saul walked out and he went out of the cave. Now again, all these men are watching, hoping, okay, maybe David changed his mind. He's going out after Saul now. Maybe he'll get him just before he gets to his men. But he gets up, he goes out of the cave and he calls after Saul. He doesn't call him names. He doesn't say anything bad. He does the opposite. My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David, he bowed with his face to the earth and he pays homage to Saul. I'm going to end here for this Sunday because I'm going to save the conversation for next week. But I want you to imagine, you know, David's hiding with all his men. They're really bitter. They're distressed. They're hungry. They're surrounded by 3,000 men. This is the one opportunity. We could end it all right here. David's just let Saul go free unharmed. David decides to follow Saul out of the cave. The men are maybe excited that he's going to kill him. He does the opposite. Instead, David does what we would least expect. He follows the one man who wants to murder him and has the power to do so. The one man who's made his life a nightmare and says, my Lord, the king, and bows before Saul. David is not bowing before Saul because Saul is a great man. David is bowing before Saul because David serves a great God who put Saul in charge. And he was not going to touch that man. David bows and obeys God because he's acutely acutely aware that God is in total control of every situation. If God says he will be king, then he will be king, and Saul will shortly not be. There are commands that God gives to each of us. Some we obey, some we disobey knowingly or unknowingly. We don't obey because we're afraid if we obey them, we might be harmed. We might lose friends, money, authority, peace in our home, comfort in our lifestyle, respect in our community. If I obey God, I might lose all the things. But David, he has the right perspective. God is fully in control and obedience is more important than comfort. Saul had the opposite view. Samuel calls him out on it. So says, what do you think God wants? Does God care about your sacrifices? Does God need rams and goats, their necks slid open, blood flowing everywhere? No. He wants your obedience. David knows that. Saul wants comforts. He wants the nice sheep, the nice oxen. 
He wants to bring home the king and show everybody, look what I did. He wants to build a statue to himself in his pride. That's what Saul wants to do. But David does the opposite. Instead of making a statue, instead of boasting uh, in his arrogance, he humbles himself before Saul. In effect, humbling himself before God. There's someone else who understood this better than David even. And that was Jesus Christ. The same God David served, became a man, took on human form, was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He was offered all power and all authority from Satan. Yet he refused, instead, willing to suffer, to obey God. Jesus' perfect obedience of the Father becomes more than an example to follow. It becomes our righteousness. When you read through the Old Testament, oftentimes you get this picture of it's just one more law for me to follow. Right? I just need to be like David. I just need to be like Daniel. I just need to be like, well, that's not the point. The point is that there's a greater David, a greater Daniel, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the one who is perfectly obedient. They are just a picture of the Christ to come. And so you can often get overwhelmed with, I'm not like David. I'm not like these other people. I'm not especially like Jesus It won't be long before David sins profoundly and loses a child, right? But his hope is the same as ours. His hope is in a God who justifies the ungodly by his sacrifice. His hope is in a God who holds the heart of the kings in his hands. His hope is in God who holds the heart of king in his hands and he obeys, not out of fear of condemnation, but out of a trust in the one who makes enemies his children, So as an application for us, something that we can learn from this is that how do you treat your enemies? Do you truly believe that the heart of the king is in the hand of God and he turns it wherever he pleases or not? If you do, then you can honor the king, scripture says, that you can love your enemies, you can bless those who curse you, right? If you trust in God. How well do you know God's commands that you should follow them? Is your constant conscience tuned by Scripture? How much do you trust God that if you follow Him in obedience and lose everything, you still have the best thing, which is Christ, and your only hope is Him? Again, the Scripture today here is not to point you to the work of David. It's to point you to the work of God in David's life. And that David's only hope was in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Your hope is only in the salvation of Jesus Christ as well. That same hope is the only hope that you have. Not in your good works, not in your obedience, but in Christ's obedience that he would suffer and die and lose all things and then rise again because his obedience was perfect and pays for our sin and our unrighteousness. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a glimpse into history, a glimpse into your working with David and Saul. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who obeyed perfectly, who followed your will right down to crossing the T's and dotting the I's so that us who sin daily would be able to be sons of God, that your obedience would uh, replace our lack of obedience, that your sinlessness would replace our sin, 
that your death would replace our death. God, I thank you for your graciousness to us. I pray that we would learn from David as he's learned from you to love his enemies, to bless those who curse him. And pray that we would trust that vengeance is yours, that you will repay so that we do not have to. Thank you that you did not take vengeance on those that you choose to save. In Christ's name, amen. going to sing yet. We will sing after the communion. We're going to sing the third and fourth verse. We're going to have communion first and then sing the third and fourth verse of Draw the Near. Both the deacons will come. share something special with his disciples and uh, they would find that one of them would betray him. A lot more would happen after that but this time was unique in that the Lord was talking about them uh, drinking his blood and them eating his body which would be the bread and the wine that they were taking at the time. It was a time that was special. For us, it should be an intimate time with God and with each other, too. It's a time when we come together, those who love the Lord, and we enjoy this time of remembering what He did for us and of sharing it with each other. And so as we do this today, we want to do it as those who love Him and share this time together. Let's start with a word of prayer, and we'll... Take care of. Gracious Father, grateful for your love, grateful for the way you care for us and the, the things you do for us most of all. We're grateful for this remembrance that we, we are able to remember what you've done for us, that you shed your blood, that it was your flesh that went to that cross, that, that you died for us, but then you rose again that we can share this until that day when we will meet in glory. Remembering you, being able to do that together as those who love you. We thank you for this time to partake of the bread and of the wine in Christ's name.
following, he said, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take eat, this is my body. Eat y'all. And it says, he also took the cup and after giving thanks, gave it to them saying, all you, you drink of it. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for this many for the sins of forgiveness of sins. I tell you from now on, I shall not drink of the product of the vine until the day when I shall drink it new with you in my father's house. Drink ye all. Now you can turn to hymn number 458. And it's in the last two verses of hymn number 458. delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend when I kneel in prayer and with thee my God I commune as friend with friend draw me nearer nearer blessed Lord to the cross where thou hast died 
Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross the narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with Thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to Thy precious bleeding side. Thank you, Father. Thank you for bringing us into your family that we might enjoy this time together to remember you. Thank you for your scriptures that give us glimpses that you wish for us to see. And we pray that you would help us to have the kind of sight that would keep you and your scriptures right in our vision, that we might follow you, that we might do as you would desire us to do. Thank you that we learn from your word that we really are not our own, but we are yours. Teach us how to live for you. And we'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.